You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Is Max Feels Hello out there! I'm Andrew. And I'm Polly. And since you are a person who listens to podcasts... Uh, we think you listen to podcasts because you're listening to me right now. <laughs> we need your help. We need you to go to kidslisten.org. Kidslisten.org. And fill out a short survey about how your family listens to podcasts. People like us are trying to figure out how people listen so we can make better things for your kids and all kids. So visit kidslisten.org. Kidslisten.org. And let us know. Thanks! Hey, did you know that penguins really come from the South Pole and polar bears come from the North Pole? And except for random zoos and whatnot, they really are, are never destined to meet. They're, they're on total opposite ends of the world. And so, you know, a little symbolism there is how do we take our different points of view? Sometimes it can feel like we're coming from completely opposite sides. I think this is bad. I think this is good. And then somebody thinks the opposite. So how do we find the middle ground, the balance between the two poles? Ear snacks. For parents. Hello. Hi out there. I'm Andrew. And I'm Polly, and you are listening to a very special episode of Ear Snacks. For parents. For parents. For parents. So Are you little? How little are you? How little are you? Because that will determine how much you enjoy the next <laughs> 60 minutes. Is it going to be 60 more. minutes? Is that it might it be is? long. Okay. Um, this is a series of episodes we've been doing with the five Grammy-nominated artists for, for the 62nd Grammy Awards. Best children's album of the year. But this is with a particular artist. This conversation is with John Sampson, who is a music therapist in Brooklyn who has a new album called Ageless Songs for the Child Archetype. It is totally appropriate for young children, though I think it is going to really be a bullseye for slightly older listeners. Maybe preteen, teen, early teen listeners. Or children over the age of eight. Yeah. Um, though you are totally invited to check it out with your young children and see what they think. Some of the topics of the songs um, do become a little more complicated. Um, and the topics that we're going to be talking about in this conversation do too. So um, we will keep it PG um, in our conversation, but... It's going to be loosely edited or not edited. It's, it's going to be not it's edited. It's not edited. And... If your child is listening to it, they might kind of be like, why do Andrew and Polly sound like that? Why or do why does like it sound like you're having a conversation with them about what you had to do yesterday? Yeah. And it's not delightfully mm. for me in the way that I'm used to. So this episode is for you, mama birds and papa birds out there who yeah. are interested in thinking a little bit more about how to support your child as they go into a complex Times of thoughts and feelings. That's right. Times of thoughts and feelings, which these songs do wonderfully. And we're so excited to share this conversation with you. Can we kick it off with one song from the album? Let's do it. Which song are we going to start with? How about Predicament? Okay, let's play it. The sun always shines Unconditional light And the moon always 
always glows Unconditional night And we all go through a dark night But we always shine bright Like penguins and polar bears In the light of the night Unconditional love Unconditional sight Unconditional day Unconditional night Shake my hand, slap me five, bump me on the fist And isn't it weird how we even exist? This universe is a strange place The mysteries and the challenges we face And there's a line between a problem and a predicament You can solve a problem But you manage, you manage, you manage A predicament Let's start with welcoming our guest on the show. Our guest? Yes. Who's our guest? Our guest is John Sampson. John, would you introduce yourself? I would love to. My name is John Sampson. I'm a music therapist in Brooklyn. And I have a little uh, business called Co-Creative Music. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do as a music therapist? What is music therapy? Yeah. Well, music therapy, it actually came out of behavioral psychology, which is not quite my wheelhouse. But um, think of it like... Music therapy, it's like a whole bunch of therapies that are invisible, so you don't really realize you're getting therapy when you're a kid playing music. But one of the beautiful things about music therapy is that you can address occupational therapy, speech therapy goals, and physical therapy goals. Um, And again, they're camouflaged in the music. So it's really using music as a way of reaching goals. So, so if I understand correctly, it's it's you know it's kind of indirectly approaching some other therapeutic things that that might otherwise be kind of a little more strange and foreign for a kid, and kind of masking the strangeness and foreignness by something that's more familiar. Yeah, I mean, it it does actually address the goals and objectives directly, but yes, okay. from the kid's perspective, it's yeah. not a direct. You're not there because something's wrong and you're trying to fix it. It's a lot of play and exploration and just having an awesome therapeutic relationship with a therapist. Okay, I have so many questions that come from this and what you just said. <laughs> and I need music therapy. Um, the first one is, can you tell us a little bit about the activities that happen in music therapy? Like, what does a music therapy session, what it, what might it look like or sound like? Right. Well, for the way that I do it, um, you know, to, in my opinion, unlocking uh, a kid or just a person of any age, but let's just uh, work with children right now. Unlocking their self-esteem and creativity sets the foundation for all the other milestones that they can reach. And so uh, the way that I work is in my music studio, it's a lot of improvised songs. So kids come in here and you'd be surprised at how very quickly they're ready to just throw in some headphones and stand in front of a green screen and sing out their hearts. And we're, we're basically spot producing this song and then they're choosing backgrounds uh, to like, they wanna be in space or the ocean or <laughs> uh, on a mountain. 
And so, you know, I generally, a lot of, um, you don't have to have a musical background to benefit from music therapy, but I, in my experience, the majority of kids are just ready to sing. They're ready to sing about themselves and the world and the things that they think about. And so I've actually produced thousands of improvised songs with kids over the years. And what I love to do is then use those songs to teach uh, therapists and teachers and parents about ways of working creatively with a kid. Wow, that's really wonderful. So, and I'm not really sure of the terminology that I should be using here, but what kinds of conditions or disorders or issues do you see in the children that you work with? And what's the right language for talking about this kind of thing? Because I'm coming to it from, you know, a place of um, not awareness, and I and I would love to be using the right language as I'm talking to other families and to children. Great. Um, well, you know, I work more generally in that I don't really consider myself a clinician, even though my training, you know, certainly qualifies me to make clinical interventions. But regardless of what a kid's diagnosis is, I really see the human condition as a spectrum of issues that we're all working on. And so just to be clear, a kid or a, an adult doesn't need to have a diagnosis or an acute issue that they're coming here to have addressed, though of course that does happen. Plenty of people are dealing with worthiness and self-esteem or just feeling shy, feeling like they can't speak up. And so, you know, I, uh, I focus not so much on what the problem is, but on unlocking the gifts and abilities that are just naturally in uh, somebody. I think, you know, sometimes when I'm working with children and I work with them in a preschool setting and they're very young um, or infants and toddlers, Working with them in a musical way just sometimes sort of gives an insight into their thoughts and feelings or um, which, like you said, maybe um, th that that may not have anything to do with any sort of diagnosis, but it but it may provide some insight into um, how they can best be supported in their growth at any given moment. So what you're saying totally resonates with me. Um, we're very curious how your practice and your job and everything you do as a music therapist has informed this particular musical work, your Grammy-nominated awesome album. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it really, a very direct correlation. Um, I've learned so much from the kids that I've worked with over the years, particularly how disempowered they feel sometimes at school with the workload and the testing not necessarily meeting them where they're at you know and a therapy a therapy principle regardless of the modality is really about meeting a kid or a, a client where they're at and so they come in here with so much stress so much anxiety so much labeling of ADD and ADHD and so a lot of the songs on the album are really informed by the struggles that the kids have had and just my experience in chatting with them and making songs with them, helping them understand themselves and the world. What's up with penguins and polar bears and how come they make multiple appearances on this album? <laughs> if we're in a classroom and I'm talking with kids, I say, hey, did you know that penguins really come from the South Pole and polar bears come from the North Pole? And except for random zoos and whatnot, they really are, are never destined to meet. 
they're they're on total opposite ends of the world, and so you know the little symbolism there is how do we take our different points of view? Sometimes it can feel like we're coming from completely opposite sides. I think this is bad. I think this is good, and then somebody thinks the opposite. So how do we find the middle ground, the balance between the two poles? You are listening to ears. So tell us a little more about some of your hopes for what this music might do. Well, you know, for me, the my livelihood really came out of recognizing that the priority isn't for me to be in the spotlight. It's mm. for me to be able to hold the space to unlock the creativity in others. And so... I don't need people to listen to my music and adore the songs. <laughs> I want the songs to inspire people and children to make up their own songs, make up their own versions of the songs and the, even just their own meanings and you know what the melodies and the harmonies and the rhythms do to them and then the creativity that can come from that spark. Yeah, I mean, thinking about the content on this album, some of the lyrics read to me like like just such true inner thoughts yeah, of kids who are like nine to thirteen. You're like, channeling the mind of yeah. Kids. I mean, I can think back to when I was that age, and I I can remember having these thoughts that were sort of fragmented, but like on the edge of being very deep and like very meaningful. But I wasn't able to sort of, you know, I knew their importance, but I wasn't able to really resolve the feelings and thoughts and um i think the the way that these lyrics especially and also musically sort of the musical harmonic journey and textural journey that happens in this album just does that so well you know sort of presents these ideas that children might be thinking and feeling and also doesn't require them to come to a place of complete understanding in a way yeah. that um still feels comfortable which is which is such a struggle i was thinking the same thing like when i first encountered this music i was a little confused even <laughs> by the complexity of of the form you know it's got a pop sound with like oh i don't know if it's musical theater songwriting or like you know it goes down lots of interesting tributaries uh writing wise and form wise but maybe that echoes the mind of a kid who's grappling with this kind of stuff were you ever a uh, preteen child at some point was I ever a child? <laughs> yes, were you, were, you, were you ever a child? <laughs> I, I, I was, yes. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I will say this. I, I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa. And, oh, no and I'll just bring out my South African accent now. And actually, <laughs> if the criteria were back then what they are today, I would definitely have been diagnosed with ADHD or something of that, uh, you know, variety. Um, but, you know, just to speak to that concept of, um, you know, the structure and all of that, when kids improvise songs here, they're not three-minute pop songs. They can go on for 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, definitely. Just exploring <laughs> all the different themes and ideas. And so, you know, I, I wanted to make something that still had some kind of pop form, but just sort of, you know, honored the, the different rabbit holes that the mind can go down. You had mentioned that your uh, that video game song was entirely or mostly improvised? Entirely. The only part of the song that you hear uh, on the album, it's the chorus, Feels Like I'm in a Video Game, that I wrote, and this amazing kid Aiden sang those choruses. Feels like I'm in a video game. 
but all the verses in the bridge on that track that is the only take that ever happened and it was completely live completely unplanned by uh, an amazing kid named claire lenares it starts it stops it stops it's what we all think about that's what we all think about it starts it stops that's what we all think about You know, we had recorded about a hundred improvised songs together over a couple of years. Um, but yes, like that was fully post-produced. And I'll give you a little uh, a, a verbal trailer. That's what I want my next album to be. Uh, it's called A Real Kids Album, and it's going to be all post-produced improvised songs by children. Yeah, that, that is one of the things we were curious about, is how much of the work on this record is you know, co-written with children and, and what part of it is inspired by them and what part of it kind of comes from, you know, your own place of thinking about this stuff. Can you just sort of speak to that in a way? Yeah, so, so uh, sure, except for video game, just the ending of uh, the anxiety song, the... Um, mm. I can get through this. That came right out of an improvisation with Aiden. And it actually took me about four years to write Anxiety, to write that song. Because, you know, it can take so many different directions, as you can imagine. And of course, Aiden got full credit for having co-written. Again, he didn't actually write it, he channeled it. He spontaneously made up the part. And it took me a couple of years to put those together. When I get a little antsy That's when I'm feeling ill-prepared for life Fibonacci patterns all around me That's when I get stuck in my head That's when I'm not quite in my body That's when I'm feeling like I need to crawl into a little is in my head and all I hear is this sound of my pounding chest I gotta calm down um, but the rest of it's uh, my writing but again my writing has been heavily inspired by the words and the songs of the kids there's this uh, kid named Daria who had made up a song about four years ago called Concentration Camps for Creativity where she eloquently improvised a song about how she felt that kids' creativity gets drained in school. I'm gonna be releasing that song at some point pretty soon and uh, you know it also gave me permission to feel safe and ready to really say the things I want to say as an artist, you know, because there's always that, that question like, is this too much? You know, am I saying more than can be heard? But, you know, if I, you've really listened to these songs that the kids make, they are more than ready. They get what's going on. They either see the news themselves or they see their parents and the authority figures in their life talking about it. And let's not even talk about what's been going on in schools because that's pretty heavy as well. <laughs> You are listening to the impact.
that's so interesting that you say that we as parents think a lot about the schools that our children are in and how boxing a lot of school programming can be because, you know, there's a lot of focus on achievement in, you know, in literacy and numeracy and all those things. Right. Um, and we have two young children and we see different levels of, of stress getting acted out when they're not in school. And it's sometimes that, oh, they haven't had any space to process or express their own ideas in this highly programmed mm -hmm. school day. Um, and I'm sure there are other teachers and parents who have the same experience where their kids are finding, you know, a lack of uh, elbow room for, mm -hmm. for their own emotions that I know as a grown human I need for myself. And I'm, I'm assuming small kids are, are the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there are wonderful social emotional schools and programs out there, but the fundamental blueprint of the education system, what kids learn, how they learn things, why they learn things needs a real overhaul. Because if a kid is not able to have their highest creative potential facilitated, it becomes, like you said, and I, I don't know if you meant to quote uh, one of my songs, but the different levels of stress. Mm. But there's just, there's so many beautiful ways to learn and to realize that kids all have different ways of learning. And they're also just wired to learn different things. There really are some kids that are destined to learn chemistry and to learn how to build machines. And then yeah. there's some children who it's, I, you know, there's that video where it's like, how can you get a fish to climb a tree? You know, it's just, it's different language. It's just not compatible. And I really believe that a lot of kids are suffering uh, and are become traumatized by school systems that are looking for something from them that they're not really wired to produce. And then they're not supported yeah. to produce it from where they are. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you can get conditioned to thinking that you're not supposed to produce it as a kid. Polly, you, right. you've taken some early childhood educational classes recently, and you told me a story that broke your heart about a kid. Oh, there's that heartbreaking poem about the child who goes to art class. Do you, Do you know, know that John? one, John? Uh, no, please tell it. Uh, I can't. I can't. Do it. it brings me to tears. But Do it's it. about this child that goes to an art class and then is told to make a picture of a flower and does. But then the teacher requires the child to make a very specific kind of a flower. Uh, I didn't say we yeah, were starting yet. Yeah, and it like, takes over. You uh, know, I didn't show you how you're going to draw. Right. This. What then, color it should be, what shape it should be. And then, you know, eventually this child leaves and goes to a new class and has a new teacher. And the teacher says... Today we can draw pictures of flowers, and then the child is like, "But what? What is it supposed to look like?" And the teacher's like, "You can draw whatever kind of flower you want, and all the child can do is draw this one flower that that the child was taught to draw." And it just, I lose it every time I think about it, and when I read it, and <laughs> yeah, that's so poignant. I mean, there's also yeah. think about all the classical musicians that don't know how to improvise. Now, classical music is so important. Right. Sure. But having that, that flexibility and that freedom to, to really express authentically. And, you know, I just want to also add, before even addressing the ways that uh, education can be different for kids, I just think about the teachers. Teachers should be paid like doctors, and they are underpaid and overworked. And so, you know, if somebody like me was in charge in any way of the education system, module one would be 
How do we best take care of the teachers so that they feel respected and well compensated and have adequate resources? Because from a therapeutic Absolutely. standpoint, when you're a teacher in front of a group of kids, those kids are going to be projecting onto you as if you're the auntie, the sister, the, the mother. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on non-verbally in a classroom. And the teacher needs to be able to debrief and understand that, you know, every kid has like a whole bunch of different emotional curriculums in and of themselves. I really believe teachers should have access to group therapy and their own personal therapy and really be feeling their best because how can they offer their best if they're not given the best of what the school system can offer to, to really support them so that they can support the kids. Yeah, I mean, they're not just teaching the letters. It's not just about the alphabet, right? And right. the things that they can do to support children filter out into our society in so many incredible ways. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm learning to play piano. I already know to know. notes I write a ditty about a bunch of random stuff I invoke artistic license to organize my impulses so don't be surprised when I go on a tangent to tell me to focus, focus, focus Try not to tell me to focus, focus, focus I wish that you'd stop saying focus, focus, focus Cause I focus on Focuses, 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 not my strong suit And speaking of suits, why is a deck of cards Stacked with royalty A king and a queen and a jack as a prince But no princess to tell me to focus Focus, focus Try not to tell me to Stop saying focus, focus, focus Cause I focus on ADD John, if you are a parent, whether you're finding your way to music therapy as an option or just want to try some kind of creativity, esteem-building exercises with your kid, what are some ideas you could try out? Something they could yeah. do at home constructively to support their child from, yeah. you know, the side. Right. Well, I mean, before anything um, specific with music, I just really encourage finding humor in every situation <laughs> possible because, you know, the, some parents, a lot of parents who really 
only want the best for their kids, are so stressed about attaining that level of greatness for their kids that that stress creates a feedback loop. So anything to just have a laugh and you know, <laughs> blow bubbles, like really, it doesn't have to be this amazingly sophisticated thing. I mean, you, improv, improvisation to me is in any capacity, whether it's dancing, singing, movement, storytelling, it's really giving the imagination a place to, to come out and do what it wants to do, you know? And so every kid is gonna have a different configuration of, uh, archetypes you know the the tagline to the album is songs for the child archetype you know it's this this fundamental pattern and so it's really getting to know your kid and like oh this kid really is more of an engineer not that we're just one thing but mm -hmm. you know the more you you pay attention to like how this kid usually is that should be the the foundation for what the next steps are you know it's really making them feel understood you know so i I don't have this perfect glossary of all these different um, activities. This is just fundamentally, how can my kid feel understood and heard and ask the kid? That's the question for the kid. Hey, that's mm. what I love asking kids. If you were gonna make up your own school, what what would that look like? And you know, the majority of them first say what they don't want instead of what they do want. So of course it's no homework, no tests, this and this and that uh, in the negative. And then it's like, well, okay, let's say all the things you don't want are there, then what it would be like, what would it be like? And you know, then some kids, most kids really need to be climbing trees and playing in the dirt. And you know, I'm a fan of that Montessori approach of teaching math through you know, farming and, you know, community shops and stuff like that, where it's really useful and practical. And I think that's a wonderful question to start with, with children. I mean, yeah. especially if you realize that there's some discomfort that your child has, to find a way to ask them what they would like to change about that place or activity or system, you know, gives you insight. And I also think one thing we know about young children is they learn best through play and they also connect best through play. So I think you're right to suggest that you find, as a parent, finding an authentic way that you are willing to play with your child yeah. as uninhibited as you can be is going to give you so much opportunity for connection, learning about each other. And that can build and support in so many ways. And it's also, it's energizing. You know, I think a lot of parents and teachers, for that matter, see a barrier to creating those kinds of play because it's harder to do. Oh, than, and there's just so to much some, to do to, to as a parent. Up. There's so but, much to do, you're too yeah. tired. But once you do it and there's, have those activities, yeah. then like suddenly it's way easier to do everything. There, it's <laughs> like there's so many reasons not to, but then yeah. once it once, happens, yeah. it's like you just immediately understand why. I think something you just touched on, you you mentioned the word archetypes, which mm. is in the name of your album. Ageless songs for the child archetype. Yeah. And there's some other sort of vocabulary that's part of this record. Mm. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what you hope introducing that vocabulary will do for children and parents as they're listening. Sure. Well, firstly, in terms of the child archetype, you know, that child archetype never goes away. We all have that in us. Mm. You know, and so I think one of the, the goals of life is to keep that child archetype in balance so it's being expressed through the light parts of you because when 
when you don't express that creativity, the playfulness, the joy, that sense of wonder and beauty and connection to life that naturally comes through uh, the child, <clears throat> you know, the child archetype, um, then it comes through tantrums and entitlements. It's two sides of the same coin, right? It comes through control issues. That, in my opinion, that's really what war is. It's, mm. it's kids on a playground that don't know how to share. You know, this is mine, it's not yours. You know, and so I really believe that the more we can celebrate what the child has to offer and it, and it spans throughout life. Like, why do we love certain people like Ellen DeGeneres and Robin Williams and, you know, John Stewart? And, you know, these are people that know how to laugh. They, Trevor Noah, you know, all the great comedians. You know, I actually believe the comedians are a mixture between the child archetype and the teacher archetype. Some of them really know how to tell it like it is, you know, and make social commentary, but in a really fun and unique way. Could you offer a definition of child archetype for, I'm going to say our listeners, but really maybe also me? <laughs> well, an archetype is really just a fundamental pattern, you know. The child archetype yeah. in on its light side, where it's all about seeing seeing everything as brand new, seeing the world as a beautiful, safe place that you want to explore and create and share joy and magic. And the shadow side, there's a shadow side to every archetype, right? Yeah. So the shadow for the child is certainly that feeling of entitlement and dependence, you know, not being able to really take ownership and blame, blame mm. other people. Yeah. It's his fault. He started it. She started it. Well, another question that's related to all of this, we had mentioned that our audience is primarily, you know, children aged two to eight, and their parents were firmly in the space of early childhood. What would you like to share with parents of those children that would support them as their children, you know, grow into a more complicated Person. space of mental health? There's nothing more important than emotional climate. And so I just highly encourage parents before they even begin to address what they need to do as parents, I would love to see them addressing more of what they need for themselves first. So whether it's drinking more water, doing the exercise, whatever that they feel like they need to do to keep themselves feeling good, because no matter what they say, their kids are feeling what they're feeling. And yeah. so, you know, again, parents try so hard to be amazing parents that they aren't always amazing to themselves. And I really think they um, can give themselves more permission to take a little bit of extra time. It, we're talking like three minutes even. Like I understand people's schedules are very, very busy, but just taking a little extra time for themselves is gonna put them in a headspace that is gonna be more conducive to their kids wanting to hear what they have to say. Because when they're coming from a place of stress and tension and just ordinary anxiety you know to be clear there's nothing on my album that i'm addressing that's intended from a clinical point of view this is all human condition stuff and so mm -hmm. there's a normal level of stress and anxiety and tension or maybe it really shouldn't be considered normal but at this point it's been normalized you know because of all the things that everybody absolutely has to get done in the day so the more that the parents can invest in their own health and wellness i i really believe the kids are going to um, see that and they're going to mirror that we've recently been reading some Brene Brown and she's had people 
tell her, no, of course I can love my kids more than I love myself. And, and she says, no, you, you can't. You can't actually love anybody more than, than you love yourself. And I think take care of anybody more than you take care of yourself is also an important part of that. Yeah. I love her work on yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. You know, what you said about how this album doesn't come from a clinical perspective, but it addresses so many parts of what we all might feel on the spectrum. I think you've just done a tremendous job of of really fielding that and taking it a lot of the different places it can go. And when I think back to, you know, the way that I found, I don't know if the right word is solace, but I, I found a place in music where I felt understood, my thoughts and feelings felt understood at a young age. And, you know, as an independent listener, um, you know, I was, I, I'm going to date myself, but like, you know, <laughs> listening to Alanis Morissette's mm-hmm. al- album just really did so much for what I was thinking and feeling at the time that I listened to that. And I think this album offers that to children in a completely developmentally appropriate way. It really stretches them to think. And I think it reaches parents and young children, too, in a way that allows them to um, explore those thoughts and feelings. Um, and I, so I just I and just put, and love put words on something that they might not have put words on. Yet. Yeah, yeah. And and to speaking to your goal, hopefully encourage them to, to do that for their own self, you know, in their own thought songs and everything, too. Yeah. Beautiful. And ask questions and have conversations. That's. Yeah. Yeah. And that's our show. Thank you so much to John Sampson for sharing with us about his practice, his process, and his beautiful music. Yeah, you can find John's Grammy-nominated album, Ageless, Songs for the Child Archetype, wherever you find music. And you can find out a little bit more about his work and connect with him. My website is cocreativemusic.com. And I have a YouTube channel under John Sampson and also on Facebook. In this episode, you heard... Predicament. Video game. And focus on ADD. And thank you, the parents, for listening and thinking about this stuff with us. We welcome your feedback and your questions, your sharing your experience. Please, please, please connect with us if you want to have more of this conversation. And we so appreciate you taking the time for this sort of intentional and informed conversation about parenting. Yeah, we think a lot about it, even though most of the time we're just singing and making jokes. That's why we think a lot about it, (laughs) because we want our singing and joke making to come from a place that's that's right. We're going to let one more song from John play us out. This one's called Only Love, and it's on his album. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys. Through the darkness, through the pain, through that which words can't explain. It's in the way we make a choice to stay silent for you.
what's in our heart, what's in our mind, when those combine, it's where we